0: Welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, where we talk to great bosses and those who build great bosses about what it takes to be a great boss. And now, here is your host, the founder and CEO of Boss Builders, Mac Monroe. Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the Boss Builder Podcast. This is Mac Monroe, the Boss Builder. And for this episode, I thought we would go back to the mailbag. The mailbag's a pretty interesting thing because I'm getting lots and lots of emails that have great questions and these questions come from people probably like you as the listener. Somebody who's fairly new into the role of the boss and they're starting to run across some struggles and uh, the person that wrote in this week is no different. This is an email that I got from Derek and Derek says this, Dear Mac, I am a newly promoted supervisor. I'm not Probably like many of the people who listen to your podcast, as I am actually in my 40s after working in the production area for a number of years, he gives me the years, I won't tell you what they are, I've now been put in charge and now I'm starting to look around me and realize that there are people that work for me who are older than me and I'm also seeing people who are younger than me. And it's difficult to know what approach I should take. Can you help? Well, Derek, I'm glad that you wrote in. And by the way, for those of you who are interested, uh, you can send me an email directly at mac at com with your question. Derek, your challenge is one that a lot of people face. And fortunately or unfortunately, there's actually quite a bit written about this. And so, what I thought I would do in answering your question is really maybe uh, give you a piece of a talk that I did a few weeks ago for a client and what the talk talks about is really how to be successful in a multi-generational environment. Now, we'll tell you right up front that what I'm gonna tell you is going to be probably much different than what you might hear from other people that talk about this subject, but I think it's gonna make more sense and hopefully will give you the answer that you need to be able to be successful. Now, if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to go back to the show notes. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a handout and the handout actually has some PowerPoint slides on it. And what I wanna do is I wanna walk you through this talk. And remember what we're doing here is we're working to answer Derek's question on is there a way that I can effectively manage multiple generations in the workplace? So why don't you go ahead and do that and we'll go ahead and start. The First thing we'll do is look at the one slide that says generations in the workforce. And what I've done there is I've actually put a list of what are typically the, I guess now, five most common uh, generations that are actually in the workplace there one time people said there was four but i honestly believe that there's more now now when you look at this you'll notice that i have the years that this generation was born and then of course their label they got a label form and then their current ages and so we start with uh, people call them the veterans or sometimes they're referred to as the traditionalists they were born anywhere from 1925 to 1945 which makes them, at the time of this podcast, anywhere between 73 years old and 93. You probably don't find quite as many of them in the workplace, although there are some. My mother is 83 and she actually works full-time. Then the next generation that's listed is what's called the baby boomers. Now, their years of birth was 1946 through 1964, which makes them right now anywhere between the ages of 54 and 72. It's a pretty big generation. Follow that up with Generation X. Now, this is people that were born between 1965 and 1976, which makes their current age anywhere from 42 to 53, kind of mid-middle. What do they call midlife? uh, I'm just going to say midlife crisis. Middle age, right? And then we have the next generation known as millennials now, born from 1977 to 1995, which makes them anywhere from 23 to 41. Now there's people that disagree on the years for a lot of these, but we're going to go with what is probably most commonly said if you ever did a Google search on this. And our final generation is the newest one. They are now being referred to as the iGen or Generation Z, born from 1996 to the present, which makes them age 22 or younger. Well, that kind of gives you an idea of what generations are out there. But what's most interesting then is, all right, what makes a generation? Is it just the years that they were born or what is it? And so there's a couple things that I think would probably hold true. I'm gonna suggest that generations are really groups of people that have similar kinds of values. And those values tend to come from what I refer to as defining events, something that's really big that goes on in society that impacts people and it impacts them in such a way that now they do they, they, their values, the values are the things that you really hold on to and you don't change for anybody, they, those change often because of that and then now you have behaviors that change from that. And I'll give you some examples as we go along and what I'm going to do if you've got the handout you're going to see I have a bunch of slides that give kind of a basic history lesson and you know, it's funny I do this talk often and I'm always finding that people are kind of fascinated by some of these historical things, which kind of surprises me since I always found history to be kind of boring, but maybe it's the teacher that makes it boring. I want you to kind of listen now with new ears and see if any of this kinds of kind of makes sense. And we're gonna start with uh, the generation that is the decade, uh, rather the decade 1930 to 1939. So when I go through these, think about where you were and how did you respond or how did you feel when these events happened? Uh, I'm pretty certain nobody listening to this podcast was born in 1930 to 39, although my mother actually maybe, I don't know. Well, there's really four, I think, defining events from that decade. And it begins, of course, with the Great Depression. We come from an area in a time where everybody's going crazy, the economy's good, everybody's loving life, and then overnight, the bottom drops out. Now, to make matters even worse, farmers in the Midwest, who for years had not been taking really good care of their soil, get hit by this massive drought, followed by these gigantic winds that blow all the topsoil off, so farming is basically dead. The Great Dust Bowl, people are having to move out west to be able to survive, people are starving, which is hard to believe in this country. Well, the government decided to try to throw some money into the economy to make things better, and they developed a lot of programs. One of those programs built Hoover Dam, and if you've ever been to Hoover Dam it's a pretty amazing thing to see but keep in mind it was built in this decade and a lot of injuries a lot of people fell into the wet concrete which is pretty pretty horrific way to go out and and so you know you have some people being put back to work where the government is using them to kind of construct things which is a helpful thing One more defining event is the Hindenburg disaster. Now, this was a gigantic airship that the Germans were using to transport people from Germany back to the U.S., kind of like what we think of an ocean liner. Most of us now, we see the blimp over a football game, right? And they're taking video and photos from up there, but people would actually travel on this, And, and it was a common way to travel. Well, one of these airships, the Hindenburg, decides to dock in New Jersey, and it's tying up to this mast and then i guess lightning struck it it had it was filled with hydrogen which was probably a pretty bad decision caught on fire and a lot of people died but think about disasters like that that was there was a newsreel footage and they were on the radio and the you can you can probably look up youtube videos and hear the guy watching this thing burn up and he's like oh the humanity just watching these people burn to death and that kind of stuff makes people freak out it makes them think wow what the hell just happened here and then my behaviors change, right? My behaviors change, you know, it's very interesting. Um, when I was married to my first wife, her family had quite a bit of money, and they lived in Southern California. And I remember my uh, my younger my my daughter, my young my well, she's my older daughter. She was just a little girl, and she was running around my mother-in-law's house, and she ran up in the attic, and and she wanted me to go up there and see what she found. And what she found was my mother-in-law had like tons and tons of toilet paper, uh, like probably 200 and some odd rolls of toilet paper. And, and so I went down and asked my mother-in-law, and by the way, she had quite a bit of money. Uh, I says, why do you have so much toilet paper? She says, well, you don't want to run out. And then I realized, you know, she grew up in this great depression. So even now with the amount of wealth that she had, she still could not get it out of her head that there was no toilet paper. And even my kids told me when they'd go over there, if they ever threw something out like a jar of peanut butter, she'd pull it out of the trash and yell at them for leaving a little bit of peanut butter in the in the lid of the jar. But you know, if you have nothing, that impacts you. So that's really that decade, thirty to thirty-nine, and then we go to the very next decade, which brings us right into World War II, and and so we have the you know war in Europe, and then the Japanese attack us at Pearl Harbor. Men go off to fight the war, women go into the factories, we get this uh, picture of Rosie the Riveter. And what's interesting is a lot of researchers have said that actually the the factories ran better with women working them than with men, higher productivity. Rationing happened, people, and again, probably impacted like my ex-mother-in-law. And then, of course, the war ends with the dropping of the atomic bomb and then the surrender goes on. And and I believe probably the rest of that decade was just everybody coming back and settling back into a normal pattern. Uh, Those that survived the war would now move home and they would start having babies, which, you know, leads to that big baby boomer generation we'll talk about in just a little bit. Now, those two decades are really, if you think about this in terms of generational study, and that's probably what impacted them. And, and so, you know, I, I hate to use generalizations, but this is what people that study this stuff say. They say, you know, generally speaking, people of that age group are more practical and, and they tend to be thrifty. They don't spend a lot of money and they value hierarchy, you know, they respect authority. And, you know, maybe the way I, I talk to groups is like, if one of these characters calls in sick on the Tuesday after a three-day weekend, what do you say when you hang up the phone? And most people in the workshops, they say, man, I would hope they were okay, because they would never just take a day off like that. And, and again, a generalization, but these might be things that happen. Well, that takes us into the 1950s, and now war has changed. We have a war in Korea. And so we mobilize again and we go to Korea. This time we fight this war to a standstill. And and then there's this threat of communism and this Cold War. And, and people just mortified that there could be communists living in their midst. And everybody was suspicious. And a Senator McCarthy starts having these hearings on these people that are accused of being communists. And it freaks people out. They're, they're worried about this way of life. And then the Soviet Union is you know starting with nuclear weapons of their own. And everybody's worried about this nuclear war. Well, to maybe take the edge off a little bit, we now have television as a way to, to see this, but also have a form of escape. And, and my dad, I remember him telling me when he was alive that when he was a kid, one family had a, a TV in the neighborhood and it was a little thing, but they had this big magnifying glass they'd roll in front of it. And the whole neighborhood would come over and watch TV together, a whole neighborhood. Now, keep in mind, most families today, they don't even have everybody sitting in the same room in the family watching TV. Most of them are off watching it on their phones or somewhere else, but this was a community event. And of course, Elvis Presley changes the way people w- listen and see music, and even so much so that he was shown only from the waist up on the Ed Sullivan show because his hips were moving. Well, then we move on to the 1960s. The 1960s is a very interesting decade because it really can kind of be summed up in in two halves. The first half was just extension of people who were following the status quo. But then things start getting unraveled. We get into another war out of fear of communism, the Vietnam War, which initially was supported, and then as time went on, was not supported and then finally protested against. And this is thrown right on top of the civil rights movement. Lyndon Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act of 1963, but even that did not stop people from protesting and discriminating against others. And it was just tumultuous. Well, there's there's this counterculture movement that starts and people say, you know what, no more authority, no more ties, we're gonna move off and we're gonna live together in peace and harmony and. We're going to just have, we're going to share everything. They became known as the hippies and long hair and beards for the men and I guess long hair and hair for the women. I don't know. But living off in in places where they could share everything and Woodstock, this concert just sort of unifies this whole group and they just say, this is a, a whole new way of living. Well, the Beatles come from overseas and they, they change up music. Even Elvis Presley feels threatened, like these Beatles, now they're taking away my audience. There's a loss of many heroes. John F. Kennedy shot in 63, his brother Robert in 68, Martin Luther King in 68. And, and really, the decade kind of ends on this sour note, but there's one high note. In 1969, we finally land on the moon. And that was the culmination of John F. Kennedy's vision that he wants to put a man on the moon and bring him home safely. And that set of decades, fifties through sixties, really kind of talk and shape the baby boomers, the, the large generation. You'll see the numbers here in just a little bit. Now, some things that are generally assumed about the baby boomers is that they're like the 50 hour work week people. They work hard, put their nose down and just kind of just get it done and you know go the extra mile and you know it's the same thing you know if they call in sick now on the the Monday the Tuesday after a three-day week, and most people say man I hope they're okay but you know for them they they are sort of torn you know, older boomers are gonna probably see things different than younger boomers just based on where they came of age and and you will find them at age 54 I'm on the beginning edge of that generation um, we still make up a pretty good chunk of the workforce Well, moving into the 1970s now, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably saying, okay, now you're starting to talk about things I actually remember. And in the 70s, I remember some of these things very vividly. For one, it was the gas lines. And apparently there was this big oil embargo going on. We're we're kind of at a war, a trade war with Saudi Arabia, who's producing all of our oil for our gigantic gas-guzzling cars, and they start shutting it down and now we're stressed with no gas. What would happen is that you would have, they would take the last number on your license plate and if it was odd or even you would be assigned a day, you could go get gas and there was long lines. I still remember my dad and mom waiting in the gas lines and and my mom complaining saying, people take too long putting gas in their car, we're waiting all day. Well, we have a president, Richard Nixon, who finally gets exposed for some really, really devious behavior, and his whole presidency, his whole White House starts to unravel, and he goes ahead and resigns, and people are just, now we don't even trust the government anymore. Well, Gerald Ford, his vice president, takes over. Gerald Ford's defeated by Jimmy Carter. Shortly after that, there is a takeover in Iran, and a bunch of radicals. Throw overthrow the government the shah of iran is 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 kicked out and they take a bunch of american hostages prisoner at the u.s embassy and now we're like okay we're being attacked and i remember listening to the news or watching the news and we had this raid where we were going to go rescue the hostages and two of our transports crashed into each other the helicopters crashed it was just a complete disaster and i remember thinking this can't be real i mean our military just kicks ass but it actually didn't happen it was embarrassing well at home too there's other interesting things going on there is this religious figure his name is jim jones who has a pretty good following in his church and people are getting a little concerned about his church because some of their kids are going there and when they go there they just stop writing home they just sort of disconnect from their parents and there was a lot of pressure on jim jones so he went down to guiana at the northern tip of south america and he created his own little community they called it jonestown and people moved there and whole families would move down there well as they all moved down there they started finding out that they, their parents are still concerned or they're kind of freaking out they don't know what's going on they can't they can't get a hold of their kids anymore and so They pressure the government, and the Senator Leo Ryan flies down there with an entourage to see what's going on, and his plane is met at the airport, and he is assassinated along with some of his people. Well, that's when it all unraveled, and uh, Jim Jones goes back to his people and says the end is here. He has a bunch of Kool-Aid, and he puts cyanide in there, and everybody is instructed to drink it, and so whole families die. Hundreds of people die in the jungles of Guyana. And and now you may hear people and and I always laugh when I hear this especially when it's a young person that says a quote he says that you're drinking the Kool-Aid but that was a phrase that came from that time drinking the Kool-Aid meant blind obedience and that was a pretty horrific thing 77 Elvis Presley dies I was at summer camp in 7th grade and I remember thinking you know I don't even like Elvis but that's just huge news and and that and he was gone and then we wind up the decade with Disco, Saturday Night Fever, and depending on what part of the country you grew up in, if you were on the East Coast, you'd say Disco Fever. If you grew up on the West Coast like I did, it was Disco Sucks, and that was the 70s. Then we move on to the 80s, and the 80s are a generation that I kind of almost think of as my own. I graduated high school in 82, so I was very aware of all these things in the 80s, and maybe the thing that really just kind of got the whole decade together was mtv and believe it or not there was a time that mtv just played music videos 24 7 Uh, now they've got all sorts of programs and catfish and all these other shows on there but there was a time when they just played music videos and i can remember staying up late at night watching it saying okay when i see three more good videos i'll go to bed well Ronald Reagan is elected president, which is a big deal because he's an actor and you know from the 50s, and then he was governor of California, and it really ushered in a change of just conservatism and patriotism. As soon as he's elected president, miraculously, the next day, the Iranians let the hostages go because I think they realized he was going to go over there with a gigantic boot and kick everybody's ass over there, and so they let all the hostages go. Uh, Prince Charles and uh, Lady Diana get married, and I remember my mom watching this on TV early live. It's a big deal. The space shuttle Challenger exploded, and and a lot of my groups now remember this vividly because many of them were in in elementary school watching it on TV because there was a teacher that went up. And then, of course, the AIDS epidemic, and as a dental technician in the Navy, you know, there was a time, believe it or not, we didn't wear gloves, masks, anything, and I got stuck with sharp instruments, we have patients that bleed all over the place. And that just became a scary thing for healthcare providers and for the general public. And it just sent this just culture of fear, especially as uh, well-known people were diagnosed with AIDS and died. And of course we know now that it's no longer the death sentence that it was supposedly done in the 80s and 90s, still serious, but it made people just afraid. Which is the foundations of what is known as Generation X. Now, what's funny is that we start to think about them now as being a little bit older, but when they first came on the scene, they were like the first generation that didn't make sense. Skeptical, they questioned things. They had it came from broken families. Divorce was more prevalent with them, and and people didn't know what to do. They were a small generation too. We'll we'll explore that a little bit more. But you know the question of when they calling sick for work on the Tuesday after a three-day weekend, what do you say when you hang up the phone? Well, then it's like, oh, shoot, they're just slacking again. Now, mind you, take a look at their ages. It doesn't really fit anymore, but this was fairly common. We now go to the 1990s. 1990s, we have our first war in a while, even though it was not really a war. They call it the Gulf War. It was something that was over within a f- six months, I think it was. But Kuwait is taken over by the Iranians, and, or I'm sorry, the Iraqis. And and so we decided we would build a coalition and go over there, and we very soundly beat them into submission and, and left. And there was a domestic terrorist attack when the Oklahoma City uh, building was bombed by uh, Timothy McVeigh, who was a Gulf War veteran that was very disgruntled. There is the first mass shooting in a school in Columbine, where two t- two teenagers went in there and killed a bunch of students and terrorized the place. We had a president that managed to get himself in some scandals with his one of his interns, which was really big in the news. Princess Diana, who just you know what a decade earlier was in this fairy tale wedding, dies. And again, most people say, "Wow, I remember where I was." And then toward the end of that, that we had this idea with. Uh, That their turn of the century there's going to be an issue because the clocks aren't ready for it And there's going to be catastrophe and planes are going to fall out of the sky and it's going to be awful And for those of you in the IT world you probably if you were working then you realize you didn't get much sleep that last year And people were afraid my parents bought water and food and all kinds of stuff and as it turns out it was absolutely nothing Well, we move into the turn of the century then, the years 2000 to 2009. Most people only remember 9-11, but it started off with another financial disaster. We have um, the Enron scandal. People went to jail for this, just impropriety. The economy's limping along. And then we have the 9-11 terrorist attacks, which most people who at least were of age can remember exactly where they were when they saw that happen. It was horrific. Well, we we go into Iraq trying to find Saddam Hussein, which starts off another war that ended up being very unpopular. And of course, airline security has increased and now it's no longer just kind of take the whole family to the gate and it's just a big mess. We have a huge tsunami in Indonesia. We watch on TV as these floods go in and people are drowning. Then we have our own flooding disaster with Hurricane Katrina down in New Orleans. TV changes just a bit. There is a new movement for reality TV shows, which are just staged, but it seems real. We have a massive recession in 08 that is pretty darn close to almost going as bad as the Great Depression. We have our first black president elected, which was a really big deal. And it was, for many people, remember that as one of the defining events. The day I remember people being interviewed saying, I wanted to live long enough to see a black president, and now I can die in peace. And we wind up the decade with the death of Michael Jackson, which again, for those that followed this, this was a huge deal. I remember riding in my car with my son, who at the time was probably in middle school, and I said, "Dustin, listen, Michael Jackson died." And I said, and he says, "Dad, I don't even like Michael Jackson." I said, "It doesn't matter. You don't like Michael Jackson. He's dead. That was a big deal." And then my son said, "Yeah, whatever, Dad, but you probably remember those things." Well. The product of that generation is what is referred to as millennials, now age 23 to 41. And I will tell you, this is the first generation that basically, I think, freaked the entire country out. Generation X to a point, millennials, because there was a lot more of them. And there's a lot of stereotypes made of this generation. And if I ask the question, what do you say when they call in Tuesday the day after the holiday weekend and you're and they call in sick when you hang up the phone you say, yeah, absolutely sure they're they're sick. Well, one more decade and then I want to make some sense of this for you. That's twenty ten to twenty nineteen. Now this one is, you know, eight years in and there's still lots and lots of things, but we could start off by the, the, the BP Gulf Oil spill, which there's this pipe busted underneath the the I almost said the Persian Gulf or the Gulf of Mexico. And there's oil just pouring into the ocean. And they're trying to do this deep sea repair on the thing. And they finally managed to do it. But that was, you see gallons and gallons of oil coming out every second. We all watched in wonder as this group of miners in Chile were trapped. And they managed to get them out one by one through this long tube. Kind of like that thing you stick the money in when you go to the drive through bank, right? It sucks the tube up. We have an earthquake and a tsunami in Japan and a nuclear fallout problem. And then we have the death of Osama bin Laden, the most wanted man, who was the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks. We have another school shooting, this time of young kindergartners in Connecticut, Sandy Hook Elementary School. There's movements. There is a big movement for those that are gay, lesbian, transgender. I think it's it's LGBT. B, T, Q, and there's a few other letters now, and in most states now, uh, same-sex marriage is legal. Black Lives Matter is a movement that gains a lot of traction. There's terrorist attacks all over the world by Lone Wolf as a part of the rise of ISIS, who starts off getting our attention by decapitating Americans right there on YouTube. Uh, Political divisions are always in Washington, D.C., but they're just absolutely marked now. And we kind of wind up the time up to where I'm talking with the Me Too movement, which has basically ruined the careers of tons and tons of people in Hollywood and business who made very poor choices dealing with females that work for them. And of course, continued to have mass shootings in the U.S. Well, probably the generation that will be influenced the most from that is what's referred to as the iGen. And these are younger people. And there's probably a lot we don't know yet. But one thing that I have heard by a lot of people is this probably will be the first generation that has a shorter lifespan than their parents, mainly because of health issues and and bad food and obesity. We don't know. And right now, you're probably not going to have to answer the question of what do you do when they call in sick to work? Because if they are working, they're probably working service jobs and the sonic drive-in and places like that. But they'll be making their presence felt. And if you're looking at the show notes really look at the generations by the numbers this is as of 2017 and you can look at this and realize the veterans in gen x they're small generations so in terms of impact in the future probably not that big the boomers are still out there working many of them although they are starting to retire off many probably will not be able to retire because they probably haven't planned for retirement like they should have but you could take those first three bars in the graph and if you remove those bars, you take a look at the, the big numbers of millennials and iGen. So you know, to Derek's question, how do I manage a multi-generational environment? Pretty soon you're not gonna have to worry about it because there's really only gonna be two and, and you'll just have to work with what you get. Well, the issue I have in thinking about generations based on that is the whole idea of stereotyping. That really, really bothers me. And what bothers me, I think, more than anything is people, consultants that do what I do, that make a living selling this notion that if you just simply understand the generations in the workplace and understand what they do, you can manage them better. I would offer this. If I was to have a workshop and I would call it Skin Colors in the Workplace, and what we'll do is we'll take a look at black people and Asians and and Filipinos, and Latinos, good God, I'd be strung up. That would be, you could never pull that off. But I I think that these generation things are no different. We're just stereotyping. So let me offer you another explanation. Here's the other explanation. If I was to have a puppy right now, the two things that puppy would do would be they would pee on the floor and they would chew up shoes. Now, if I had a puppy in 2008, that puppy would chew up shoes and pee on the floor. If I had a puppy in 1998, that puppy would chew up shoes and pee on the floor. If I had a puppy in 1988, that puppy would chew up shoes and pee on the floor. If I had a puppy in 1978, that puppy would chew up shoes and pee on the floor. If I had a puppy in 1968, that puppy would chew up shoes and pee on the floor. If I had a puppy in 1958, that puppy would also chew up shoes and pee on the floor. But if I had a puppy in 1948 or 38 or 28, surely that puppy would not chew up shoes or pee on the floor. Of course, we know that would not be true. Puppies do what they do because they're puppies. What if what people are doing today is nothing more than assuming that Generation Y, iGen, and Millennials are the only two puppies that pee on the floor and chew up shoes. They don't take into account that every generation had younger workers who were simply finding their way and their behavior may have come across as entitled or I want it all now. And I did a a piece of research a few years ago and what I did is I asked and I did random, I sent a survey out and I got about 900 something respondents back and I says, I want you to give me your age and tell me how you viewed younger employees When you were 30, younger employees defined 18 to 21. And when I crunched the data, here's what the data showed me. The top three things said about young workers, now we're talking about the puppy, right? No matter what decade, is that they're highly educated, a work week is 40 hours, and they live for the weekend. That was said across the board, even young baby boomers. So here is what I'm gonna tell you, Derek. There's really four things that I'd like you to focus on if you wanna be able to do better at managing multiple generations in the workplace. I'd like you to just take a step back and, and, and sit in curiosity, sit in curiosity. What that means is that I'm not gonna look at it according to how people tell me things are or how they should be. I'm actually gonna look at it with an open mind. I'm gonna look at behavior of all generations and not try to throw the generational difference excuse on top of it. Sit in curiosity, not an assumption. Look at the actual behaviors that they're doing, not what you think they should be doing. If you have somebody who's on their cell phone and they should not be during working hours, you will probably see people in my generation doing the same thing. But will you jump on the case of the young workers and say, these young kids, they're always on those phones. They can't let them go. Look at actual behaviors and look at all behaviors. Third thing is examine your own bias. We all have a bias. That's how we sort data. We have things that make us feel more comfortable and we just sort of play along to it. But take a moment and look at your own. Is there something that is holding you back from being more sitting in curiosity and and not an assumption? And finally, appreciate and embrace the differences. Now, just because people are younger, doesn't mean they're just naturally tech savvy they just grew up with those particular tools and if they grew up with those particular tools they're probably more comfortable using them and trust me the young people today are not the only ones that ever walked around with a device in their hand I remember in the 1970s there was a little game called electronic football and some of you who are old enough to remember probably remember these things and at recess We went crazy trying to get out there and play electronic football. We could not be taken away from our electronic football. I look at my son, who's now in his 20s, and for him it was video games and still is today. He's just comfortable with it. And me as an older adult, I'm not into the games anymore. But realize that by just assuming that one generation is going to be more tech savvy than the other, you're stereotyping them. So I'm just telling you again, and this is where I want to end this, is look at it with open eyes and an open mind. As somebody who is being the boss, your job is to engage people where they're at and lead them where you need to be, making sure that you're building rapport with them. If you fail to do that, it's, it's a disaster. It's a bad thing. Stereotyping is wrong. Derek, I hope this helps. And for my listeners out there, I hope this was useful. This is a little longer than my normal podcast, but I think it's something that maybe we needed to talk about. So until next time, get out there, be an awesome boss, and check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. We have a really really cool program where you can get management training delivered right to your mobile device, and take a lot less time than if you had to sit in classes. Check it out, and you can check me out at macmonroe.com. Again, follow the podcast, leave us reviews, we appreciate it. Day, have a great. Day. You've been listening to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast with Mac Monroe. To get more information on being a great boss, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com or at Mac's blog, macmonroe.com. Until next time, get out there and be a great boss.